All right, good morning, LifePoint. How you doing? Oh, good, I like it. I like it. A little gusto. Nice. I'll tell you, it, it, uh, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here. Um, as Donnie mentioned, uh, we're friends, and um, I, I'll just tell you, I think so highly of Donnie, and I think the fact that you get to be under his leadership, and I'm going to embarrass him just a little bit, it's a rare thing. It's a rare thing when you find a leader who is that capable and also doesn't have to be in the spotlight and leads with kind of humility. Um, I think he does a great job, and I'm proud to say that. And I'll brag on you all too. I mean, maybe maybe you just kind of maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you maybe you've been here for a while. And I want you to know, um, unfortunately, we're trying to change all this, but unfortunately, this isn't the way ch- churches normally are. <laughs> the difference that you guys are making locally, and the difference that you're also making globally, and through your efforts through church planning and stuff. I mean, it puts you way in the top one one percent of churches across. I travel quite a bit and get to be in churches, and I'm telling you, this is an exceptional thing, and you are blessed to be a part of LifePoint. So I'll tell you what, dude, this is this is High Five Sunday. You didn't know that, did you? Oh, yeah, it's High Five Sunday. So I'll t- yes, it's High Five Sunday. These guys are totally amped. High Five Sunday. I've been waiting for this. Um, I'll tell you what, turn to somebody near you and give them a high five and say, I love Life Point. There you go. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Some of you had to, it took a couple tries to get it. <laughs> um, it's a pleasure for me to also be here because, I mean, you're doing this series called Finding Your Way Back to God that's based on a book uh, that, that John and I got a chance to, to write, and it, it's kind of fun. I mean, even right now, I was, I was online this morning, there's actually a church in Germany doing the exact same series that you're doing. And so the, the, they get to come here and know that you guys are working through this is fun for me. It, it's, it's our church, where I, where the church that I pastor, it's our mission statement. That's our mission statement, to help people find their way back to God. And so in some ways, for 20-some years, I've kind of been working on this book, and then really the last two years, my brother and I, who pastored this, this, this church, kind of really poured ourselves into writing it to help people find their way back to God. And then last spring, uh, the book came out, and it's all exciting and everything, um, but I have to tell you, this morning, I'm feeling a little frustrated. Thank you for asking. <laughs> this is like a stand-up kind of, why? Uh, I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, well, here's why, because... The book came out, right? And, and we're getting good feedback on the book, which is awesome. But I already have something brand new that I wish was in the book that was published in the spring. I'm glad you asked. And I'll tell you what, it, it has to do with the prodigal son. It has to do with this big idea of helping people find their way back to God. And, and any of you that have, if you have bought the book or you plan to buy the book, here's what I want you to do. Just do me a favor. It'll make me feel better, Okay. In the next few minutes, I'm going to tell you what I discovered that I wish was in the book that's not in the book. So just take a few notes. Humor me. Would you just take a few notes? And then, then, then I want you to go back, and if you have a book, just, just if you have a digital copy, this will never work. But I want you to stick it in chapter 11. That's where it belongs, right in chapter 11. And then when you sell it on eBay, it'll be worth more, even more. Okay? So that's what I want you to, that's what I want you to do. Now, now here's, here's the deal. To tell you what I've, what I've kind of discovered that's not in the book and I wish was in the book, um, ask yourself this question. Why was that prodigal son, that's the story we've been dealing with during this series, why was the prodigal son so reluctant to come home for help? Pride, Pride sure. Shame, yes, because what, he'd taken the father's inheritance and kind of squandered in this crazy, wild living, beautifully illustrated in that last video we saw, all those things, but I discovered something else. I discovered another reason I think that kept him from coming back home for help. And it may have been even bigger reason the things that we commonly, like you even kind of shouted out there. And here it is. I, did, I didn't know this. When a Jewish boy squandered his inheritance, particularly back then amongst Gentiles, after doing that, if he dared to return home, 
the entire community had a tradition called Kezaza. I'll tell you what, say that after me. Kezaza. That's exactly right. Kezaza. It took me a few times to get that, but Kezaza. Kezaza was this. The whole community would gather together upon the return of this kind of prodigal and as a symbol of how destructive he had been, of how he had broken his relationship with the community, how he'd broken relationship with, the, with, with, with his family, and how he'd broken from his father's guidance, they would actually do this. They would take something like this, like a clay pot. Now remember, we're dealing with a Middle Eastern culture here, and in the Middle Eastern culture, it's very demonstrative, very dramatic kind of symbolic culture. And if this son was to try to return back to the community after squandering everything that his father had given him, if he was to try to do that, the community would actually meet him at the gate upon his return and they would stop him, stop him from coming in. And then all together, they would take a pot, a clay pot like this, and they'd do something like this. They would break it. And then after they broke it, one of the leaders from the community, a spokesperson, would reach in and um, grab a piece and write to the son would say something like this. This is the brokenness that you've caused our community. You have broken everything that's good. You've broken trust, you've broken community, and you have broken your father's heart. What you have done is now beyond repair. It's actually a symbol of your brokenness, of your own. This is your broken life right here, right here. And let these broken pieces of your broken life remind you, you are not whole. You are no longer family. And you are not welcome here. You have been cut off. The Hebrew word kezaza, you know what it means? To cut off. To cut off that you would be cut off. And, uh, and as I discovered this, actually I learned this from, uh, from John Ortberg. What it meant was that this prodigal boy, it was one more reason, one more thing that kept him from coming home. And maybe the primary reason, knowing that he'd have to face the Kezaza. Now there's enough people in this room here that, uh, that, that some of us in this room, probably, if we're honest, all of us in this room, We've felt some kind of this brokenness in our own lives, right? And uh, kind of like my friend Carissa, I want you to meet her. My journey started when I was two years old and my mom and my um, dad divorced. And I, we had lived with my grandmother for a long time, and my grandmother and I did not have a good relationship. I met my ex-husband when I was a junior, met at a bar. I didn't really know who I was, though, at 16, 17 years old, to be in, in love or even know what it meant. It was just something was missing, but I just was so in the moment and wanted like to get married and the whole fairy tale that I kind of pushed those feelings aside. Um, once we had my daughter, it definitely took a turn for the worse. His behavior changed and my behavior changed. And then once I found out I was pregnant with my son, I felt like I was just stuck. I, you know, I have two kids and I definitely don't want to be a single mom with two kids. So I knew something had to change and I just kind of went 
the wrong way to make that change. Um, I had an affair, and then on Father's Day weekend, I had another affair. I think from the beginning of being with a grandmother that treated me like a piece of crap, to now being in a relationship that I'm just destroyed and slept with multiple men, but there was no God. And if he was there, he was not a nice person. So, I mean, I would, I would pray. I didn't know who I was praying to. I just kind of, someone's there, so hear me. And you probably hate me. And why would you let this happen? The last affair I had um, turned into a relationship. It lasted three years, and it was a living hell. I was emotionally and physically abused, and my son was physically abused. Scissors being thrown, TVs being thrown, you know, me locked in a room with a gun to my head, and they were just on the other side screaming. And during, during that time, I became a drug addict. I was on coke, and I drank a lot. And it lasted three years because I didn't know how to get out of it. So the only way I was able to get out of it was um, I moved. So I moved and didn't know where I was. Before I moved, I met my now husband. The first day I met him, we like literally an hour after I met him, we ate at a TGI Fridays. We told each other stuff and there was no judging because we both were there. <laughs> we both had similar stories, it was scary. So I sobered myself up, still had no God, but just knew I needed to do something because I was probably gonna lose my kids. So we decided to get married and before we did, we found the church. Everyone was amazing with our kids and where they should go and we, it was, it was life-changing. It is life-changing for, it was, it was amazing. When once the first service that we went to, we knew we needed to get baptized before we got married, that we needed to wash all the sins that we have committed in our previous marriages before me and him committed to each other. For years, many years, my husband and I both tried to do it on our own and that wasn't working. So now we have a place that we could turn to um, when we need it. It's a relief. It's definitely a relief in any part of our relationship. If we have a troublesome moment, we turn to God, we pray. We're not going to drugs and alcohol and affairs. We're going to God. So that is a relief to have that. In our small group, people who message me daily, what can we pray for you about? It's an awesome feeling. It's a place that I am comforted and loved unconditionally, no matter what. It's what a home should feel like, and it does. Is that awesome or what? Yeah. Um, maybe I'm particularly enthusiastic. I know, I mean, I know Carissa. Carissa attends community where I go to church, and, uh, and her husband, Brandon, he's a big guy. Who, a big guy he actually got drafted uh, by the Chicago White Sox as a pitcher. And maybe, maybe once every month or two, uh, he'll, he'll stop me. Usually it's on a Sunday. He'll put his arm around me, and he'll say something. Hey, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for helping me find my way back to God. And, that, and that's what we've been in this series, right? About finding your way back to God and exploring these five awakenings. These five awakenings that I've seen, I mean, I've literally seen hundreds, actually, truthfully, thousands of people find their way back to God. And these five awakenings are the common denominator that most people kind of go through these kind of markers. And we talked about in the first week, if you're here the first week, we talked about this awakening to longing. 
That usually triggers things. There's a longing inside. And, and like for Carissa, it was this longing to, to love or be loved, right? To love or be loved. And for some of us, it's a longing to find a purpose and a meaning, a cause for our lives. For some of us, there's tragedy that happens in our lives and we try to make sense out of it, right? And we're going, God, why? And there's this longing for, 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 for meaning, and, and then this awakening longing, what it really is, it's actually, it's our souls pulling us to God. Did you know that? When you start going, there's got to be something more. It's actually your soul pulling you closer to God. But too often what happens, instead of going back to God with these longings, we go other places with them. And those places lead us to the second awakening that I often see people experience after they had the longing is the awakening to regret. Because they try to satisfy those longings in, in people or substances or things and it never satisfies. And unfortunately, what happens is somewhere right there between awakening number one and awakening two, I call it the sorry cycle. That's where everybody gets stuck. I've seen it over and over again. That's where they get stuck. Because what happens is they have this longing that kind of, they have to satisfy, and then they try, like, like Carissa did, to satisfy it in this relationship. Oh, well, he didn't work. Well, I'll try him. Oh, he didn't work. I'll try him, and he didn't work. Guys, the same way. Or we try to satisfy those longings with, with a, we calm it with a click on the internet. No, that doesn't satisfy. Or a drink to escape. Or a buzz to get high. And that doesn't satisfy. There's all different things we try to do. But what happens is we have these longings and we do things we regret. We have these longings and we do things we regret. And we get stuck in the sorry cycle. And the sorry cycle is just this place where you go like, I, I, feel, I feel sorry about my life. I'm sorry what I did to you all. And I'm sorry for the situation I'm in. I'm in this sorry cycle. And a lot of us, almost all of us, take a few spins around the sorry cycle. But if you're going to break out of that sorry cycle, you have to go from awakening number one, these longings, there's got to be something more. Awakening number two, wow, I regret that. I want to start over. You've got to get to awakening number three. You've got to get to awakening number three. And here's what you need to realize, I think, about these awakenings as you go through them over these five weeks. They are both, hear me on this, they are both how you find your way back to God for the first time, but they're also how you find your way back to God over and over again. It's the same path. Let me explain this. Theologians actually make a distinction between what they call um, initial sanctification. You ever heard of this term? It's kind of a big term they use in, in, in seminaries. Initial sanctification, which is your first experience of God initially. And they also have what they call progressive sanctification, which is once you become a Christ follower, you continue to grow in that experience with God. And these five awakenings are essentially that. If, if, if you're familiar with the 12 steps, oftentimes they'll say the 12 steps of recovery are so important because... They are how you get sober, see if you know the rest, and how you stay sober, right. They are how you get sober and how you stay sober. These five awakenings, if you will use them in your life, they are how you find your way back to God for the first time. But they're also, and I've had this experience, how you find your way back to God over and over and over and over again. And so this third awakening, which is the next step for us, it's this awakening to help, where you finally go, you know what? <laughs> If I could do this thing called life on my own, I would have figured it out by now. I need some help. And asking for help isn't an easy thing to do. Um, if, you, if you were to get to know my whole family, there's five of us in our family, um, what's unique about the Fergusons and what we all have in common is we all, all five of us, okay, my, myself, my wife, and our three kids, all of us, we all want to be in charge. Anybody else have a family like that? I'm the only one. 
Okay, we got a few. If you want, okay, yeah, we all want to be in charge. In fact, I mean, my youngest Caleb, he shows up. He just shows up, and he's like, he like he's in in charge. Josh, my middle one, he's kind of like this quiet assassin who kind of covertly assumes. Like he's in charge of everything. My, my daughter, Amy, is loud and boisterous and bosses everybody around. And my daughter, and I'm actually my daughter, my wife, Sue, she has a huge personality, beautiful one, huge personality, and I just don't mess with her, okay? <laughs> but I'm supposed to be the boss, right? I'm supposed to be the boss, at least, or so I think. Um, as an example, it's kind of fun. I remember when Caleb, our youngest, he was just a toddler, and I remember Sue and I went into the room to kind of check on him, and he was in his, he was in his crib, and he, he was kind of just starting to fall asleep, but you could see him kind of restless, and then we, we could kind of hear him talking, like talking in his sleep, just a toddler. And we kind of go over, and we lean over his crib and listen in, and you can hear him in his sleep saying, self, self, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> and you know, I, I, think, I think there's some of that in all of us. Self. Self, I'm going I'm to do this thing life myself. And so asking for help, this third awakening, saying I can't do this on my own, doesn't come easy. And see, that's where, the prodigal, that's where the prodigal finally came to his senses. And he says, I needed help. And you can follow it on the screen here and take a look at the whole passage in Luke 15, 17 through 19. There it is. The prodigal son, it says he came to his senses. And when it says he came to his senses, we dealt with this a little bit last week. That was actually the turning point, right? And there's two different words for this turning point. Another Bible term really is repentance. Now, the New Testament word for repentance is the word metanoia. Now, metanoia just means this 180-degree turn. It means actually kind of a pivot. You're going this direction, and you go that direction. What's fascinating, though, if you remember, there's also an Old Testament word for repentance, which is actually a little more, and it means to actually return to from where you belong, to return back to where you belong. I think it means to find your way, what? Back to God. That's exactly right. That's what it means. And so this third awakening, when we finally do this, this is, this is the game changer. Because you're going, okay, I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I'm going to try to stop fixing the things in my life that don't work all on my own, like my marriage. Anybody need a little help with their marriage? <laughs> Liars. Um, anybody? <laughs> How about some help parenting? Can I get an amen? amen? All right, there we go. How about, how about help with our job? How about our finances? How about help just with life? I mean, there's a whole list of things. And I could get a lot more personal than that, right? There's a whole list of things. And when you finally make that pivot, you say, I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I need help. It's this awakening that's a, that is just, that's just, a, that's just a game changer. Um, last Last Thursday, I think I heard maybe the most powerful message I've ever heard in my church. And, um, and I was not the one talking. <laughs> um, and actually, neither were any of our campus pastors. It was last Thursday uh, afternoon, and it was none of our staff. I heard a father speak at his 19-year-old daughter's funeral. We live in a... In a, in a where I actually live and where one of our locations is located is in Naperville, Illinois. It's a very affluent community. Uh, but you know what? They need help. Don't let the money fool you. We, we have a profound heroin problem in our community. And um, this, this daughter, I mean, beautiful, gorgeous girl. I mean, she'd fit in here perfectly, outgoing. But at 19 years of age, she needed help and she didn't get it. And she died of a heroin overdose. And I was there in that funeral, 
And when that dad got up to talk, who also, he confessed right up, I, I am a recovering addict myself, drug and alcohol addict. And he went on and he just looked at that audience and he said, listen, if you're like my daughter or if you're like me and there's parts of your life that are out of control, there's places you, you don't know where to turn and you, you're just hoping that somewhere out there there's got to be a power greater than yourself. He said, listen, the direction right now, you're at a point in time where you have a choice. And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever forget this, even though it happened just last Thursday. He pointed to the casket where his daughter was, and he says, you have a choice. It's either death or you get help. Or you get help. And then he said, and I want to help you save a life. And it's your own. And it's your own. And say, so I know there's a whole bunch of us in this room. We, we need help. Some of us need help with our, in our dating lives. Some of us need help with our marriages. Some of us need help with our families. Some of us need help with, kind of with, our, with our jobs. Some of us need help financially. Some of us need help emotionally. Some of you in this room need help physically. There's just a whole host of things where you need help. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I think every one of you should have got one of these because they were on your, on your uh, seat when you came in. Would you do me a favor just to make sure? Just go ahead and hold these up. Would you hold those up for me? Go ahead and hold those up for me so I just see and make sure. And if, uh, I'll tell you what, if for some reason, some reason you didn't get one, just go ahead and raise your hand and I think the ushers will make sure you get one. But I, th I think everybody probably got one. If anybody didn't get one, raise your hand. All right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you, because I, I, I really, I don't want to just come and talk and, and not give you an opportunity to respond. I think it's really important. I would love for you to take a pen. There's a pen in front of you there. Um, go ahead and take that pen. And I want you to finish this out. It says, God, I really need your help with. And you finish that sentence. You finish that sentence and make it your prayer. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, and uh, we're going to give you a chance at the end of the service here. As you can see, we did in the first service. To actually get up out of your seat and come forward. And what I want you to do is I want that... And I would even encourage you to kind of walk slow from your seat up here. Because I would love for that experience of you walking from there up to here to really be kind of symbolic of, okay, this is my journey back to God. Maybe for the first time, or maybe yet again. And when you lay that prayer request, whatever it is, whatever thing you're going like, yeah, you know what, I can't do this on my own anymore. You're laying it up here and you're saying, okay, God, this third awakening, I need help. I can't do it on my own. And for some of you, there's a box here, and you need to check this box that says, I want to be baptized. Next week, we're going to have a big baptism service. You need to check that box. Because you know what baptism is? Baptism is just kind of waving the white flag of surrender and saying, you know what? I want to let everybody know, friends and family know, that I am a follower of Jesus, and I need his help. Right? I need his help. And uh, I'd encourage you to put your name on there so the staff can be praying for you, and they can also follow up with you. All right, we're going to come back to that, but I know you guys can do more than one thing at time, because some of you are thinking about lunch, you're thinking about what football game you're going to watch, right? While I'm talking, you can do more than one. So also, I want you to fill that out. All right, go ahead and do that right, go ahead and do that right now. Um, but, but I thought, maybe, maybe before we actually move to that moment, here's, here's what I, want I want to talk to you a little about what's the reception you're going to find when you do come back to God, whether it's for the first time or yet again. When you really reach out to help, what kind of God do we find when we come back to him? What kind of father is waiting for us? And here's who it is, and this is so important. It's the father that we see in the story of the prodigal son. See, Jesus tells us that as the son, right, as the son walked this journey back home, it says, while he was still a long way off, 
the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and the father, what does it say? What does it say he did up there? He did what? He, he ran. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So when you decide and you walk this way, who do you think is going to greet you in return? Who's going to greet you? A God who runs. Now, this is really important for a couple of different reasons here. Because, see, in the first century Middle East, for a father to run, that was almost unthinkable. Because to run would be this undignified, kind of almost humiliating thing for a couple of different reasons. One, because they all had, they wore robes. And for him to run, it would actually probably expose, you know, that's kind of nasty looking there. It would expose a little bit of his leg. And it's not just kind of like a kind of funny thing, but actually it would, it would be an embarrassing thing for, for someone in that culture. But, this, but the other part was respected men never run. They don't run anywhere. Respected men don't know. People run to them. I mean, uh, the, uh, the Pope, the Pope is here in, in the United States right now, and I think he's in Philadelphia today. And um, I mean, how many, you've seen all that. How many of you have seen the, the Pope run? No, we don't see the Pope run, right? Of course. Or imagine this, imagine... How odd it would be if we saw President Obama climb down off Air Force One onto the tarmac, and all of a sudden he gets to the tarmac and he just takes off at a full sprint to, to greet some other foreign leader. It's unthinkable, right? Important men, dignified men, they do not run. So why is this father running? Why is this father running? For some of you that are parents in here, let, let this reach into your heart. You know what he saw? He saw his boy. He saw his boy who had been long gone, and he is running because of love. This, this kid of his who was lost is now found, and he's running for love. But you know what else he's doing? Here's something else he's doing. And this is what, what we discovered. I discovered just working this talk. He's also running for another reason. He's running because he got, a, he got a glimpse of his son coming, but also now word had gotten out to the community. The community heard that his son was coming back. This prodigal son who'd squandered everything that is the inheritance they'd taken from his dad. And they actually, they were trying to get to him before the son would get to his father. And so the father sees this taking place and he has to get there. Why? Because he knows if they get there, if they get there, get before him, they're going to perform the kezaza. He doesn't want that for his son. He doesn't want him to have to experience them looking him in the eye and saying, listen, you have broken everything that's good. You have broken trust. You have broken community. You have broken your father's heart. Your life is beyond repair. This is symbolic of the broken pieces you've made of your life. You are not whole, you're not family, and you're not welcome. Kezaza! And the father would never, ever let that happen to one of his kids. And so he runs. And he runs and he beats them there and he embraces him with grace and affection and hugs him. He refuses to let that happen. And I want you to know something. That's the kind of God every time, not just the first time, but I'm telling you every time, hear me on this, every time. How many times? Every time, every time you decide to come back to him, he runs to meet you just like that with that same embrace of grace. I know it's unthinkable. I wouldn't do that. He does. The other day, the other day we, had, we had somebody at our church, a young lady named Victoria that got baptized. And, and we have baptisms on a regular basis. One of the things we do, though, is we also have them tell their story. And Victoria told her story. And when she told her story, she, just, she told it the way it was. She said, you know what? I've been through hell. 
I have been through hell. Some of it, she was honest, some of it I brought on myself. And she said, some of it other people brought on me. And there were things that happened to me that shouldn't happen to anybody ever. And she described her life. My life, it's a broken mess. And her story's being told while she's in the baptistry. And then she said, and then I found Jesus. And Jesus is the one, through this story and other ways, who's helped me find my way back to God. She went down to that water and she came back up and she was baptized. And I want you to know something. A community, the church I pastor, the whole place just erupts into raucous applause. And I look over my shoulder. We have about a 1,200-seat auditorium at one of our locations in, out in Naperville. And what I see is I see, you guys got to keep this in mind for next week when you're doing baptisms. I see every person stand to their feet. Stand to her feet and give Victoria a standing ovation. And, and you know what it was like? It was like the whole, the whole church just said, in this place, in this place here, there will never be kezaza. Nobody gets cut off. Nobody ever has to face that. Instead, this is the place where people find their way back to God and they every time, over and over and over again, every time, right? They receive the embrace of grace. Every time. Every time. No kezaza. There's a particular... Um, image that kind of comes to mind for me when I, when I think about a father running to his son, and, and partly both my boys run track and cross country, and um, this goes back 20 years ago. It reminds me, I don't know if some of you might, this might come to mind, but it reminds me of the 92 Barcelona Olympics. There was a, a terrific athlete named Derek Redmond, and he was the favorite to win the 400-meter race. And of course, as an Olympic athlete, he'd trained his whole life for this very moment, and he was running well in Barcelona. He recorded the fastest time in the first round of the time trials. He won, he won his quarterfinal heat. And the gun goes off in the semifinal race. Derek gets off to a clean start. He's running smoothly, right in stride. And then about 150 meters into the race, something happens. And he needs help. Who ran to help him? Come on. His dad did. I'm sorry, some of us, we didn't have dads like that, did we? But I'm here to tell you, God's word tells me, my experience tells me, we have a heavenly father just like that. And we need help. And what he does, he runs, he puts his arms around and says, hey, we're going to finish this thing together. We're going to finish this thing together. That's what we're going to do. I think this is going to be a very important moment for some of you in this room. And uh, I would love to have every one of you, as much as it is within you, I don't want to be manipulated, but as much as it is within you, to, uh, to finish this and just take a risk and say, God, I really need your help with. Finish that up. And for some of you, say, you know what? No, I, need to, I guess I need to be baptized. This is, I got I to gotta go public with this thing. I'd love to have you, as you're going to listen to this song, come home. This is a great song, just a great song. To kind of walk slowly down these aisles and let this be your journey back to God Maybe, maybe for the first time or maybe yet again this week. And no, there's going to be a God there who runs to meet you with the embrace of grace. All right, so during this song, if you would, uh, as you're ready, you can get up out of your seats and come forward and just, uh, just kind of place the cards right here. All right, let's do that right now.